0: Welcome to Family Financial Views from University of Illinois Extension.
1: Welcome, everyone. My name is Kamaya walsh Bichard. We are always so excited to have you listen to our podcast. Today, we're going to be focusing on financial fraud. And I am joined by my wonderful colleague, Kathy. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. Feeling so much better and ready to like podcast.
1: Yes, I love it. I love it. So, you know, like I said, we're going to be focusing on financial fraud, which is also a part of natural exploitation. And, you know, when we think about what fraud actually means, You know, you might hear words like scams or being exploited, all of those used kind of interchangeably. And we have done a podcast on financial exploitation among older adults, so it's when grandpa gets exploited. We did that almost three years ago. But for today, we're going to focus mainly on like, you know, the fraud, the scam piece. But we always like to start off by offering some clarification with like a definition or a description of what we're talking about. So Kathy, how would you describe financial fraud? Well,
0: I think the simple definition is when you talk about literally the theft of money, property, or belonging. Something is financially taken away from you. But it's also, I think, helpful to look at this definition from the Department of Justice, which says that financial fraud is intentionally and knowingly deceiving the victim by misrepresentating, concealing, or omitting facts about promised goods, services, or other benefits and consequences that that Are non-existence unnecessary never intended to be provided so like saying i'm going to give you something but you have no no intent to ever give it or deliberately distorting the information for the purpose of monetary gain so you know providing information maybe about an investment that doesn't even exist Mm. with the idea that you're going to sell this non-existent investment so there's a lot in there but the piece is being you know that there was a real intent to steal to create this fraud so it's not like you ordered something and it got lost in the mail like there was no intent there. Right. So it's different in that way. The intention is really important and there has to be a financial consequence Mm -hmm. to really be considered financial fraud. And those are the, the two key paces that I pull out
1: yeah you know I think about it like who benefits and who loses from all of that really good point yes and you know when it comes to financial fraud it can happen to anyone and it can happen at any time but what happens when it is a trusted friend or family member who is the one who is exploiting somebody else who is committing like that fraud and this brings us to like our family feud you know there's a lot of information on different types of scams and different types of fraud that's out there but we also Wanted to focus today on you know what it means when it is somebody that you trusted that is that person that has exploited you in some way. And and this becomes a big deal. There's the research, a growing field of research on it, like familial exploitation and what that actually means. But for the purpose of today and focusing a little bit more on you know what our goals are for the podcast, you know, we wanted to just highlight two main types of scam that we would want to focus on. We'll look at some of the warning signs and some of the ways that you can protect yourself and protect your loved ones from some of the challenges that you might face in terms of financial fraud. So what are some of the common types of fraud that we see, Kathy? Well, I think interesting looking at some
0: of the research that's come out recently and data, the biggest area is on products and services. When you think that you have engaged to receive something, whether it's when you're getting your car repaired, or you're buying something online and you don't get that service or product. Like that's yeah. the biggest area. But I think one of the things that differentiates that from some of the ones we're gonna focus on is like that emotional entanglement. Yeah. Like you might be mad, you might be frustrated, but you don't have that same blame, that self-blame that you might have when it involves family and friends. You know, so I think that's one that, that you know, does definitely come up very commonly. I think we're kind of looking at some others maybe today, things like the romance frauds we see out there, the charity scams, the disaster relief requests where the money doesn't really go to help for disaster relief. In our climate change world, that has grown as a hook for people that we might not have seen so much 10, 20 years ago.
1: Yeah. And we know that you probably see a lot of different ones. And one that Kathy just mentioned too, even like with the charity scams, you might see those pop up you know, during national disaster. times or, you know, something happening in our world that people do need help. You might see those pop up at like different times. But when it comes to a specific one like romance camps, There is growing research and growing information on this one, you know, from the FTC. So they have done yearly reports on who loses when it comes to these types of scams. So in 2020, the reported losses for romance scams was over $300 million, so $304 million. And that amount had increased over time. And, you know, for a lot of people connecting with other people online, you know, making like these new connections and, you know, trying to develop relationships online, lots of times they might encounter people who are fraudsters and exploiters and end up in situation where they are either coerced to send money or they build relationships over time because it is kind of like one of those slow cons for people who are in it to exploit others. They take time to build those relationships.
0: So, Kamaya, give me an example. So, you know, I'm online with somebody over time. Maybe we connected over a shared interest or something. And Mm -hmm. how does that turn into, I want to send them money? Like, what do they do there?
1: Yeah. So some of the research has shown is that for some people, when they have like these relationships online and you know they're growing and becoming close to somebody, which is absolutely normal as part of our human experiences and we're trying to make those connections with other people. And then you get invested in that other person. So this other person who is the fraudster, but you don't know that they are at this point, you know, they're telling you about their lives. They're telling you about what's going on in their families. They could have like aging parents or, you know, other people who are dependent on them. And, you know, over time, over a few months, something might have happened in that family that they told you about. So it could be where, you know, a parent is in the hospital and, you know, the bill is just very high and they're looking for some kind of financial aid from you because they've had this relationship with you now. And they're looking to get money to address whatever needs they have. So it may come in like different forms. Mm-hmm. And how people might ask for money, but that is one as well, too, where there's an emerging situation, and I really need your help right now. Um, would you be able to wire me this money and I will pay you back? Sometimes that is the case too, I will pay you back. So it doesn't feel like I'm just taking your money. And you know, people have lots of different experiences with this. But you know, this is one where you are connected to this person now. And so you're looking to help them just to, to help whatever situation they're in. So that is like one example that comes to mind, Kathy.
0: So one of the things then that I'm hearing there Mm -hmm. is that a warning sign is this ask to wire money. Um, We know that that's a common warning sign of all kinds of different scams and also this pressure to make a decision Mm -hmm. quickly, you Mm -hmm. know, could be like, you know, I need medicine for my prescription today, or I'm going to be evicted because I haven't been able to pay my bills. So please send me this right away. And I imagine these romance scams, while they're probably very common online, can happen in person as well. They can
1: happen in person. You know, I've read different examples where, you know, somebody who is widowed and they meet another person in a park. So just build in relationship that could be in person as well, too. And you get to know that person over time and they learn things about you, right? It's they know your those background.
0: pressure points, yeah. the buttons, and the so, buttons to yeah. push.
1: And so in, in different situations, so it, it doesn't just happen online. It can happen in person as well. And the big part with this, even the ones that happen online and in person is, you know, you are making the connection with somebody and they might be saying, you know, I don't know if your family would understand about our relationship right now. So maybe you should not say anything to them about what's going on with us or if I ask you for money. So, you know, kind of like urging you to keep what's going on between you quiet.
0: So there's another warning sign, right? That keep it secret, Mm -hmm. you know, pressuring you to make a decision quickly, asking you to wire money, which you can't get back, you can't track or send a prepaid reloadable card. They're just like cash as well. And then pressuring to make a decision quickly, maybe elements of a romance fraud. Mm -hmm. And so things to kind of like, just when that happens, if you're in a relationship, it could be, you know, a platonic relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, to to just have some, little pause while you go, Oh, let me think about that. Mm -hmm. Tell you what, why don't you send me the bill and I'll pay it directly. And there may not be a bill, right? Not to say that we don't help people out. That's not our point. The point is let's make sure it's for real and put a little protective fence around you and your money.
1: Yeah, so there's so much more research and information on like romance cam to the FTC. And you can hear different stories, you can read through just different experiences that people have had, because it's been a big challenge for a lot of people. And which is why I know with like the protection agencies, they're focusing a lot on it. And, you know, trying to help people know that when you are victimized, you know, it, it is not your fault that somebody decided that they wanted to target you and exploit you in, in certain ways. And it is hard for a lot of people to report on this. But this research and this information really does help us understand more about the scope of what is happening in terms of this type of fraud. There's also other ones that we mentioned. And the other one that we want to kind of touch on is like the charity scam. Yeah, Yeah.
0: this is an interesting one. Again, seeing, you know, quite a bit of it in the US. And while the dollar amounts may not be super high, I mean, there's going to be a range could be Mm high, right? I think our concern is like, how much is this happening? And perhaps this is one that's happening more for younger adults, but not necessarily. I mean, I should qualify that and say that's my wondering. I haven't got research data on that. But you know, it's so easy online, I think, to get a request for help. Yes. And for it to really tug on the heartstrings. Like you just feel for this person that's being shown in the pictures, the images, the description, and to click and give your credit card information, mm-hmm. or PayPal or whatever, but pay out money.
1: And sometimes like, you know what, the ask is not a big amount. Sometimes it's a small amount. Exactly. But with like the charity scams, though, lots of fake, charity and fundraising <laughs> opportunities that pop up especially during times of challenges and natural disasters um where you know they pose as like legitimate charities They'll so even have similar sounding names sometimes <laughs> to make you yes, yes to make you wonder oh yes yeah, so this is what's happening and I know this organization is collecting money to help with like the relief efforts for a particular area or you know a particular country and so I want to help with that because at this point I'm able to help. Um, It is good to pay attention to, you know, where you are obtaining this information and how you're getting that information. So lots of different signs when it comes to these types of scams, you know, they might be asking you to sign up for something to say that you will get more information and you end up not getting any more information or detail about the missions of the charity and the goal of this particular fundraising effort. So sometimes you might not get that background information. And if they do call you or contact you, you know, making sure that you are following up and looking up their information online, yes. asking people about who have worked with like this particular charity before, because even if it's like a small, amount like these types of deceitful actions you know it just goes against the bigger efforts to help people when they are in need and when we do need to to help others
0: and i think this is one of those situations where You know, small amounts add up. It really makes a difference. And it's our responsibility to do that research. You don't have to spend 30 minutes doing the research, Mm -hmm. but make sure it's a real charity. You know, go to one of the entities that gives information about charities, such as guidestar.org or give.org or charitynavigator.org. And this is information from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, or even if it's a local thing, checking with your local Better Business Bureau to make sure that they are a legit organization. I've done this. It doesn't take that long. You can do it real quickly. And then you can feel good about the dollars that you're giving because they are helpful. We're not saying don't give the charities. We're just saying, make sure your dollars are going to the places where it really will do the good you want it to do. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we know that in the timeframe that we'll have you, we won't be able to cover every type of fraud, but there's a wide range that do exist out there. But, you know, for us as financial educators, It is really hard to hear the stories and to read the stories of, you know, people reporting fraud. So, Kathy, as an educator, you know, what are some of the hardest things that you've heard about the effects of fraud on people's lives?
0: I think the one that comes to mind first is unfortunately, sometimes family members will do fraud against their own family members. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I remember talking to a young graduate student who was, you know, struggling with their own bills and tuition payments. But on top of that, they were having to pay off a $30,000 debt that was not theirs. They knew it was their mother's. But, you know, when I talked with them, They had already explored other options, but unless they wanted to turn their mom into the police, the only way to get that off their credit score was to pay it off. And so they thought that for them, they had made the decision that they would rather pay that down get it off their credit report, then to report it. Which I think, again, this is a really good, important point. When we look at data, many times people do not want to report the financial fraud because shame can be a piece of it, but also right. protecting family members, yeah. trying to protect kin networks, trying to you know stay connected to family at some level.
1: Yeah. And I also think, you know, with the shame piece and wanting to protect others, but sometimes people might think their story is so bizarre that, you know, what can law enforcement do to help me right now? Will I see any recovery of this money? Does it worth putting myself through all of this? And I think that also feeds into, you know, some of the reasons why people might be hesitant to report.
0: I agree. I think the part that is hard for me is when I know young adults are sort of set back because their identity, and I know we're not focusing on identity theft, but fraud has occurred to them because of people they should be able to trust. And, you know, there's quite a bit of data that shows that this is a relatively common thing that happens to young adults. Yeah, I say young adults because it might happen earlier, but they find out about it as they become young adults. So that's my hardest time. Can you think of something that you've heard about, Kamaya, that to you is the hardest thing you've heard about effects of scam or exploitation on someone's life?
1: Yeah. So most of what I've read is through the Financial Protection Bureau and the Department of Justice, just different stories that people have shared. And have reported on and one that have always stood out to me was of an older couple whose daughter had gotten into some trouble and they allowed the daughter to stay with them and over time you know their daughter avoided them for thousands of dollars in like credit card debt Um, so whether it is used in you know old accounts and opening like new accounts in their names and that amount added up to a lot of money thousands of dollars beyond what they were in a place to be able to cover right now because they're semi-retired and trying to figure out their lives and, you know, what their retirement and what their future would look like. And so what that did was it was a huge setback for this couple. And it had just like a lot of consequences on their overall financial well-being. So, you know, like different stories like that, you know, at different programming that I do when I do classes, I hear stories about, You know, misuse of credit cards, but nothing as tough as what you just shared, Kathy, that I've heard. But we do know that for a lot of people, it is really hard to open up about like some of these challenges that they face when it comes to financial fraud.
0: And I think what's hard about these is it's not always just the dollar amounts, although those can be truly very significant mm-hmm. and important. But, you know, according to a recent supplemental fraud survey from the Bureau of Justice Statistics that came out in 2021, more than half of financial fraud victims reported yes. experiencing social emotional problems as a consequence of the incident. So sometimes the amount of money isn't the biggest issue, mm-hmm. like maybe it's just a couple hundred dollars or 20 five dollars but you know it could be how it hits you how it makes you feel and that's why i think a lot of things we when we look at the data and the numbers we have to take into account not a lot of things aren't reported but Mm -hmm. those have long-term effects and it can take people quite a while to get out of that anxiety and depression and the other emotional consequences so
1: yeah and just everything that you just said kathy some of the research now is pointing to that is not just looking at like that dollar amount piece but more of like the long lasting emotional effect that it does have on people with like building trust and working through like the challenges that they face from like this financial loss yes the money piece is important but the emotions that come into it is even greater
0: You know, maybe we ought to go back and talk a little bit more about ways to protect yourself Mm -hmm. from these frauds because it can happen to anybody and you can certainly be approached by con artists in all kinds of places and Mm -hmm. situations, but we don't want you to feel like there's nothing you can do. You know, let's minimize the damage. There's sometimes (laughs) there's things and we mentioned some about trying not to get pressured, remembering that when you use, you know, wiring money or use a prepaid reloadable card, you can't get that cash back. It's gone. So I think those are real important. And we mentioned that keeping your actions secret. That's yeah. one I feel like is really critical mm-hmm. that, you know, there should always be enough time to pause, think about it and talk to a trusted friend, you know, Oh, you know my nephew asked for this money what do you think you know how does that sound to you and just get another perspective on it
1: good to do that
0: yeah i think another really big one just to bring up because we're talking about a lot of money here is when somebody might ask you to convert property like your house Mm -hmm. into cash like create a reverse mortgage or something and then hand off that cash those large sum things are a big deal
1: Right. And, you know, some of the stories I've read um, through some of the protection bureaus, when this really happens, lots of times it takes months, even that years of people trying to build relationship with folks. And so it's not just somebody making a a snap decision to say, I'm going to, you know, apply for like a reverse mortgage, and, and I'm going to appoint this person as my power of attorney. It takes a lot of years with them building like that trust with somebody else. So even if you do have like a long lasting relationship with somebody, whether it's a family member, Or a trusted friend, even though you do trust that person, you should always think about, you know, questioning, you know, what decisions you're making, if you're in that capacity to do that, and absolutely talking to other people outside of that.
0: And one of the things to remember too, when somebody has your um, power of attorney, they have to legally do what's Mm -hmm. best for you. So having included other friends and family, so they're aware of the situation so that if you're in a place where you can't protect yourself, others can step in and Mm -hmm. legally get that changed because there are laws around that and they, they can't just go spend the money. But I think the other one that I always think is so interesting, but really does pertain in so many ways is if it sounds too good to be true, (laughs) you know, sometimes our gut feelings do matter Mm -hmm. if we again, pause and give ourselves time to think about a decision. I think that's where we get you know, that pausing in our busy world is sometimes really hard to give ourselves yes. that space. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if it really sounds too good to be true, then maybe we need to think about that one. A little
1: bit. <laughs> Absolutely. I need to think about that. So this goes into a question I have for, for you, Kathy, you know, what steps have you taken in your life to reduce your chances of being exploited? You know, that sounded like a pretty question, but even like the most cautious person, you know, like I said, anybody can become a victim of financial fraud, but what are some things that you have done in your life?
0: You know, our family is not unique. We have experienced financial fraud in different ways and at different time periods in our life. And I think one of the things is it's, it's important to me and my husband that we do help family members. But for example, if somebody's having trouble financially, we're more inclined to pay a bill directly than mm-hmm. to hand out cash. Yes you know, things happen and people get behind. Mm -hmm. I get that. I'm in a position to help. I'll catch up on that credit card bill. I will pay it directly to that account. Mm -hmm. You know, something happening, a medical bill. Sure. I'll pay that, but I'm not sending you the money. So that's one thing. I think also, you know, I kind of was harping on this earlier, but letting multiple people know your later in life financial plans. Mm So there's yes. more people aware of what I intend and they can help keep an eye on situations. You know, I never know what might happen to me in the future.
1: Yes. Yeah, you just don't know. Yeah, you really don't. Right. I think for me, an answering this question is I really love to call back. Yes. I, I like to take a breath. If there's a message on my phone or I see something online that I would like to donate to, I'm doing my own little due diligence to learn more about that organization. Like what's the actual callback number, not just the number that just called me. So I like that option and I I really do try that a lot. And there is information from the Pew Research Center. They did a 2020 survey and they found that most Americans do not answer calls from unknown numbers. And I thought about this as well too, where it might pop up as a number for an organization or it might come across as unknown. For me, like those phone calls, like doing like that phone screening is also an important one. So even if like a number do pop up, you know, Making sure that you call back, making sure that you look to see what the mission, what the vision of this organization is before you make like any donations to them. So I'm just making sure that you are doing your due diligence and taking that time that, you know, your goal is to help, but also to protect yourself.
0: And so my money personality is a giver. And I know that I can fall into behavior where I'm giving more than I planned. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I do is I try to preempt that by when a disaster happens in the world somewhere is mm-hmm. I go out and I give money to an organization that I've vetted, that I feel good about. And I do that up front. So then when I see these other calls for money, I'm like, I've done my part, <laughs> I'm done and I'm not going to get pulled into a GoFundMe or something else because I can say I've already given, you know, this Mm -hmm. is what I can do. And so kind of taking the first step so that I'm not maybe quite as susceptible to the other appeals. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, very true. Now we've shared some examples of like financial fraud and in your life for all our listeners, there might be different examples that you might have. But, you know, when you think about, you know, how do you report on these? We know that it's tough for people to report on what is going on with them, but there are opportunities that either you or a loved one who has gone through something can report information to, like, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. There is a website that you can go to do that. It is reportfraud.ftc.gov to report on any incidents of financial fraud that you might have and this information that you share so they can have more information from regular consumers about like some of the challenges that they face. I also know throughout the country, we do have adult protection services and some of the work that we have done focus a lot on older adults. But also to uh, with like the adult protection services where you can find your state website to learn more information on how you can report on fraud. Some of the situations and the examples that I've read, a lot of people contacted eldercare.acl.gov to find like locators for their particular state where um, they can report on that information. Another place, of course, too, that you can look to see where you can report on incidents of financial exploitation is through like your attorney general's website. Look to see what information they do have on that and where you can report on the challenges that you may have. So there are ways to report on this. And again, people have different reasons why they might not report. But if you do encounter like these types of challenges, think about, you know, what you've gone through and how your reporting might help somebody else.
0: I think that's the key piece. You know, if you're a victim of a fraud and you've lost money, you're probably not the only one that person's preying on. And, you know, so you really, you know, by reporting it, hopefully we can minimize the amount of damage somebody can do.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Kathy, for this wonderful discussion on financial fraud. I know this can unpack a lot of things for people based on like the situations that you've been in. But just like Kathy said about her family not being unique, same as my family, we have experienced, you know, financial exploitation. We've experienced identity theft. You know, the emotional and financial toll that that takes. On individual is, is pretty hard. So if you have an opportunity to report on that, whether it is filing a police report based on what situation you're in, and we know it's hard for some people, but consider how you can report on what's going on or even telling somebody. Some of the research shows that even though people might not you know, file a formal complaint, they might tell other friends or other family members about what happened to them. So sharing your story becomes important.
0: Well done. Not a cheerful topic, but one that we (laughs) feel is very important to understand how these different scams evolve and ways to protect themselves. So thanks so much, Kamaya, for, you know, wrangling this one together so that we could (laughs) tackle a tough topic.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thanks so much again, Kathy. And thank you everyone for listening. It is always a pleasure for us to cover these topics. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to Family Financial Views. If you'd like to learn more about the educators, Extension in Illinois, or just personal finance in general, you can check us out on the web at www.retirewell.illinois.edu.